Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you look at it and go, okay, 12 drops per gallon for iodine is going to be about right or what have you then you might in your head have it, if 12 are good, then 25 or 30 are better. And under the stress of survival, I can actually see that happening. I have have seen that happen with people. If you have a water bottle that keeps hot things hot and cold things cold, that thing's going to blow up if you use it to pull water in. So you don't want to do that. We literally were next to a large river that we couldn't drink out of. So for three days, I lived off of grapevine sap. Welcome to the Survival Show Podcast with David and me, Craig, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear that you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. What's up, David? Hey, man. So for you guys that are listening now, it's been like four hours since we started trying to record this podcast, Craig, right? No, I think it was a lifetime ago that we started trying to record this podcast. (laughs) If anybody thinks that podcasting is easy, I mean, it's several hours for Craig for every podcast to prepare. It's a couple hours for me and then the recording time and then the editing time. And man, we just had our whole system bomb out today. But we're here and I'm glad we're here. I'm just happy to be right here (laughs) and everything's working. So how about you? How are you doing today, Craig? Well, I was doing pretty good until we spent the last four hours dealing with computer <laughs> stupid stuff. I am not a technological person. Yeah, we did everything that we could. But anyway. Here we are. Guys, our mission today is to help you increase your survival IQ so that you can leave out of here today better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning, which is right now. And coming up next. We're going to talk about the life-sustaining importance of water for emergency, disaster, and wilderness survival, including, Craig, how to get water from anywhere at any time or almost anywhere, how to survive up to 10 days without water. That'll be a good one. And we will share with you all the water kit items that you need for your EDC, your pack, your car, your home, and a lot more. And then we're going to kind of get back Craig, to a little bit old school from when we started the podcast. We're going to do kind of like a multi-segment thing if we have time here. We're going to break down a recent power outage that happened in New York City and see why we all need to be concerned about grid down events like this. Then we're going to dip into the mailbag if we have time. I'm going to try and make Man, time. we are going Craig. old school. We are going old school, yeah. And Craig, you've been discussing some situational awareness stuff, some really good things on Manly Musings. So I wanted to pull in here some simple tips and drills that, and activities that people could do to learn how to prepare for and make life-saving decisions under stress maybe a little bit better. So what's next, Craig? Well, guys and gals, don't forget to check us out at survivalshow.com. It's coming. Trust me, it's coming. And grab your copy of the Tiny Survival Guide over at tinysurvivalgear.com. All kinds of, I think we're going to talk about the day, aren't we? Got some cool stuff. Yeah, we are going to talk about that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And and guys, if we have some time, we're going to, because you asked, we're going to share with you guys some cool new stuff that we're working on, including some training, some gear. Craig's got a knife coming up and a lot more. All right, Craig, you ready to get into this? Let's do this. So as we start out this vital topic of ensuring that we stay hydrated and have access to refreshing, clean, and safe water, no matter what the situation, that's what we want to dig in today. I want to mention to everyone that since we started the Survival Show podcast that we have progressively tracked our way through the survival essentials using the Tiny Survival Guide as the outline. Our hope and desire for the Tiny Survival Guide was for several different uses, but two of those being one being a training mechanism 
and two, being a reference point when and where you need it. But that's what we've been trying to do thus far as go through this and utilizing as a tracking mechanism for us to be prepared so that we can know what to do beforehand rather than in the middle of survival. So today we're going to be using section J of the tiny survival guide as the springboard for this discussion. So if you have your tiny survival guide and put can pull it out, now is a great time to track along with us. And if you don't have your tiny survival guide yet, come on, get on the tiny survival guide train. So as we get into this, guys, the average human adult needs at least two to four liters of drinking water per day. And that depends on your activity level, your climate, a lot of things. And that's at a moderate activity level. And you need this for digestion, circulation, cleansing, temperature regulation, and just general cell health. And generally, you can only survive around three days without clean water. So you've got to find water and you've got to have clean drinking water for any situation, let alone emergency or survival purposes. But Craig, I want to kick this back to that three days. And that's from the rule of three. You want to take people back into the rule of three and uh, then kind of swing back around and camp out on the water part of that. Yeah, guys, you guys and guys, you'll hear us talk about the law of threes. It is a real general and listen to this word that I'm saying, general way of understanding what our needs are. It, it, it's a conversation starter more than anything. And it is a way of trying to get a systematic way of knowing what our needs are in such a way that we can make judgment, make critical decisions in a survival situation. So the law of threes is this. You can't live more than three minutes without blood flow and oxygen flow. You can't live more than three hours without maintaining your core body temp. You can't live more than three days without water. That's what David just mentioned. You can't live more than three weeks without food. You can't live more than three months without human assistance. So that law of threes there helps us understand where it is in the order of things on a good day, what our needs are. For example, you don't need food as soon as you need water, for example. And the reason I want to emphasize that it is a general thing is because, hey, right now in Kentucky, it's about 95 degrees with, I don't know, 268% humidity. You're going to make it not very long before you are hurting. When I say not very long, very likely if you're doing a lot of work, if you're doing a lot of stuff outside where you're burning calories and burning water, you probably will be doing real good if you make it 24 hours without water. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, I think some people get keyed in on the law of threes. It's, it's a conversation starter. It's not an absolute set of rules that we follow and, hey, we've got to get, we, we've got to do this right now. Like right now in this weather, shelter is not going to be as big an issue. That's right. Because mm-hmm. I would actually love, matter of fact, Jennifer and I were out making videos yesterday and we were burning up and it started to rain and we were like, I'm not getting out of the rain. I'm getting in the rain mm-hmm. to cool off. I mean, normally we would be sheltering to get out of um, water, whether it be rain or snow or what have you. But in this particular case, we needed it to cool down. So, you know, that's it, it's you just got to have those critical thinking skills to go along with it. Is that what you're looking for when you? Yeah, ask me that's to really good, Craig. Yeah. I just wanted to bring okay. people back into that because it's the rule or the law of threes is is just a simple uh, priorities of survival. You guys have heard that. I got a question for you. Yeah. Do you know what? Do you know if Tim from Everyday Tactical Vids listens to this podcast? He does. Every okay, one of them. So, so he just sent me a text. No joke. So I've got. I've got to bring it up. So just just for anybody that doesn't know Tim from Everyday Tactical Vids, go check this guy out. Subscribe, follow, whatever it is you got to do, because this guy's a nutbag. He's crazy, but he puts out really <laughs> good information. And probably about once a month out of the blue, nowhere, not expecting it, there's this really funny video that happened at SHOT Show about three years ago. When was that, David? Oh, two years ago? Oh, my. That was, yeah, that was two years ago. So, Tim, thank you once again. Just so you know, I'm, I love you, my friend. Appreciate the this beautiful knife video that you sent me. I love it. So <laughs> That knife video will never make it to the public. It's only between the three no. of us. I think somebody would lose their job if anybody else saw that video. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> it's terrible. All right, Thanks, so let, Tim. Yeah, so let's get into some essentials here. 
So the first essential we're going to talk about is you always, always, always need to carry water with you. How much, how you carry it, all that sort of stuff. Let's talk about that a little bit, Craig. And you have something. What's the, where's the best place to carry water? In your stomach. You want to start every event that you're doing, whether it's a hike, a hunt, or, you know, consider a day hike, a hike too. Anytime you're going to go outdoors, you want to start hydrated. Mm-hmm. So the recommendations that David made earlier for how much water we need, you need to be doing that on a daily basis. And and I say that for emphasis because most of us, particularly in the United States, we walk around dehydrated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, what is the, what's the number? It's close to 80%. Most of us are walking around dehydrated. So we need to fix that. And definitely, if you're going to spend time outside, uh, if you're going to be ready for disaster readiness, for example, you know, a hurricane, you want to be hydrated so that if something happens, you don't have access to water, then at least you're hydrated and you can extend that three days that, you know, that basic conversation starter, you can extend that out much further. Yeah. Now, how much to carry? That really depends on you because water, water weighs. And that's, that's one of the problems if you're going to carry it on your back or on your belt or in a pack or a pouch does weigh something, but I'm just going to tell you guys that I always have two liters of water in my pack and at least 24 ounces if I'm just going for a little hike around. And that's not going to even be enough for a full day, Craig, right? No. And I mean, it's one of the things that uh, I have the good benefit of having here in Kentucky is that we have we have more miles of waterway than any other state but Alaska here in Kentucky. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty fantastic thing that we have here. So it's it's not a huge issue to be able to find water here in Kentucky if you have some sort of purification methodology. But uh, when we talk to Evan Hill, who spends most of his time in the Colorado Rockies, the high desert area out there, there is no water mm-hmm. where he likes to go hike. He has to carry all of his water. So if he's going to go on a five-day trip, he's got to carry water for five days. That's a lot of water. That is that's a lot, a lot of, water. of water. Wow. So that's something that we need to plan accordingly. And that's, you know, that's water you drink, water you cook with, and, and you need to plan accordingly. Yeah. And Creek did something in our last podcast. He had just brought us into how to prepare for disasters. And he used, I don't know if it was three or four categories, Craig. He talked about what you have on your person, everyday carry. And he talked mm-hmm. about home, what you have at your home, and what you have in your car, because those are the, your three most likely situations to be in. And I just talked about what I carry on my person. Now, I do carry a water filter with me, and I'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. As far as home, we have gallons and gallons and five-gallon uh, actual special containers that have water here. And I know, because I was just visiting you, Craig, that you have a lot of water in your car too. What, what do you say about how much water to just kind of keep on hand, generally speaking? It's interesting for me. Me and Jennifer were talking about this yesterday. I, I keep a minimum, a minimum of two gallons of water in my truck at all times. Mm-hmm. And I and I constantly recycle it. And uh, meaning that I drink from it all the time. And so I'm replacing it on a regular basis. So, I mean, I'm going to replace water in my truck every week. And so I just buy a couple of gallons of water and then I have a water bottle and I just fill up from there. That way it's easy to carry the water and it's easy to fill up and, and there you have it. Okay. So the next point here, Craig, is always carry or have a water filter in your kit. Uh, a couple other things. We'll talk a little bit more about kit later as a, a water bottle, water purification tablets as a backup. And do you carry a water filter in your, just like your everyday carry kit? I do. I do. I have a Sawyer Mini that I carry with me. Yep. And we'll get into this a little bit more as we go. So you want to always have some way to purify water in your kit. And the reason is, this is number three, because you do not want to drink water directly from most natural sources. Is that correct, Craig? And what do you have to say about that? Even springs. And Craig has a good story about the Red River Gorge and the spring that everybody drinks out of there and kind of what the source of that is. So you want to fill us in there, Craig? True story. Um, Let me go back one quick thing that you mentioned that I want to make sure that we understand that there's a difference. There's a huge difference between a filter and a purifier. And sometimes it's easy even for me and David to, you know, use these words interchangeably, but we need to know the difference. And I, 
Are we going to get into that later, David? I can't remember. Um, not, eh, what the heck? We'll do it. Yeah, right we now. are going to get into it. Yep. Filters. We're going to talk filters. Let's talk yep. about it now while we're okay, on. Okay, let's do it. So water filtration is basically there to help get sedimentation as well as bacterial contaminants out of the water. A purifier is going to take that up a level and help you get out viral contaminants. That's right. Uh, there is no filter that's going to be able to filter out 100% of any chemical contaminant because there's just so many different chemicals in the world. You can't make a filter that's going to get them all out. Mm-hmm. You can't make a purifier that's going to get all those out. So that's something that we need to make sure that we understand. And this is something that we also need to make sure that we understand. And it's interesting that David brought David brought the topic of water up. This is what he wanted to discuss this week. Unbeknownst to him, I've been doing some research. And one of the things that I'm finding is even on for the Sawyer filters, the Life Straws, the uh, Rapid Pure, which I'm a big fan of right now, and another one. I can't remember the name of it right now. What I'm finding out is that they, you know, their websites and their information that comes with them all talks about their 99.9999% effective on whether it's bacterial or viral, depending on whether it's a filter or a purifier. They'll say that over and over and over again. But here's what they're doing. And I can't find anybody that's done anything different than this yet. And that is they get a third-party lab to do the testing, which is fantastic. I love that. Mm -hmm. But what they're doing is they're not filtering water that they find in the environment. They're actually taking water that they have in a laboratory, putting viral contaminants and or uh, bacterial contaminants in it, and then seeing if the filter works with that. Hmm. So the big anomaly here that we really need to pay attention to, and the reason this came up is that I had a student in a class recently that's an expert in this topic. He was in a survival class, and he shared that information with some people that he works with. And we got to looking at the data and looking at these lab results and where these labs are, and most of the labs are in Florida, or at least for the Sawyer, the Rapid Pure, and I think it was Lifestraw too. They basically sent their information to similar labs. And they all did the process because, man, this is mind-numbingly boring information, I know. But it's it's vital. It's vital to our health is that they they don't have water that has sedimentation in it. Right. And that is huge. And and I've been talking about this for years when it comes to SteriPens, the ones that use batteries, because sedimentation can cause a problem and make that ultraviolet light not work the way it's supposed to. Same thing is true for filters and particularly for purifiers. And so you've got to be real careful and make sure that the the apparatus that you're using is something that you find a way to get it tested. Like what I'm trying to do is work with our labs here in Kentucky again to do exactly that. I haven't got anything done with it yet, but I'm going to see what I can do with that. It's a whole lot of stuff that you need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into some disinfecting solutions a little bit later on, Craig. Okay, good. But I, I I think the big thing here is we want to be taking water for filtration and purification from the the absolute cleanest source that we can. But we really, really should not be drinking water directly from creeks, streams, springs, rivers, ponds, lakes, and swamps. Oh yeah. Um, You, I I got off on subject. I got off subject. You asked me a question. I got off on that and I'm sorry, but you asked me that before. No, you don't want to be doing that. And David remarked uh, about the Red River Gorge. There's a beautiful spot in the Red River Gorge where uh, there's a pipe coming out of the hill and all the locals go and get water there, all the hikers that come in. You know, there's several hundred thousand people that go into that part of the world for for uh, tourism. A lot of people go there and get, because it's a pure mountain stream. Well, what they don't know is that just above that is a collection point. And some of that collection point runs, uh, th- there is some sewage runoff that could very easily get into that collection point. And so it's just one of those things you need to know. I mean, a friend of mine saw somebody actually defecating in that collection point many, many years ago. So it's just one of those things where you can't assume that water that runs on top of the earth is going to be clean. You've got to do everything you can to clean it. So, Craig, it seems like a high spring or a stream should be safe to drink out of. What 
do we need to know? And you know, why, why wouldn't we, I mean, gosh, it's gotta be well, you know, pretty clean up there, right? Well, here, here's the thing. Most of the, the issue that one of the issues that gets people is Giardia and Giardia comes from feces and geese have been pooping on planet earth ever since geese have been here. And, and I just, I'm just using them as an example. And at any point in time, some goose has pooped in the highest mountain stream in the world. <laughs> so there's, there's a chance that even in a beautiful mountain stream like that, you could get Giardia is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yep. I'm not saying that it's going to happen every time because every time I bring something like this up, I have somebody go, man, I've been drinking from a Creek in the backyard for 25 years and I've never gotten sick, you know, and you know, it, there's a host of things that can go along. Well, I have a lot of questions like what kind of health do you have? Are your, are your family members still alive? You know, well, I mean, you never know. The, <laughs> some of these things can weigh us down and stress our bodies out over time. And so it's just one of those things that if we can avoid it mm-hmm. by carrying a simple piece of equipment that doesn't cost much money, doesn't take up much space and is easy to use, then why not? Why not be more cautious about it? And so that's, that's our approach to it. All right, Craig. So, Let's just say that somebody has no water. Have you ever heard any stories about people surviving more than three days without water? And do you have any suggestions or recommendations there? So many years ago, we had trained some missionaries, and those missionaries had been involved in some work down in Haiti when the the earthquakes happened there, and they had so much destruction. And one of the missionaries told us a story about a woman who had been trapped under some debris, her house basically had fell on her and she had been trapped in debris for over 40 days with no water, no food. She was alive, uh, just barely. She's going to have incredible organ damage for the rest of her life. If it didn't just shorten her life by an extended amount, but she was alive. And so, yes, our bodies can do a lot of miraculous things under various conditions, but part of what helped her to survive is that she was literally trapped. She couldn't even crawl more than a few inches. I mean, her legs were pinned in some debris. So her and her child were there and they weren't burning any calories other than what their bodies were utilizing for just natural processes of staying alive. And so they had the benefit of that, if that could be declared a benefit. I don't even know if I should say that that way, but at least they didn't have to have uh, calorie expenditure that they had to make up. So it's the body's a, an incredible uh, apparatus that can withstand a lot of abuse, but you know, when and where we can, we need to help it perform at its highest level. And the mm-hmm. best way to do that, one of the best ways to do that is to stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have access to water, just going back to what Craig was saying here and, and putting it into just like a checklist, and this is life and death only, stop all non-essential movement and activity, stay cool, try not to sweat or eat because eating takes water. It takes water to digest food and especially meat and proteins. And breathe through your nose, not your mouth. And I've got on my list here, pray and relax. And uh, just pray that somebody finds you or that you come across a water source. All right, Craig. So here's one thing. Can we drink salt water? No, no. Basically, salt water has such a high concentration of salt in it. It's going to cause our organs to prematurely shut down and start to slow down. And the more that we take in, the more our body has to have more water to filter that, that salt water out because it sees it as something that it needs to get rid of. And so it's an incredibly vicious circle where our body is wanting more water. We're giving it more water that has basically a particle that it wants to get out of the body. And so it's just this vicious circle. It keeps coming back on itself and and it can't get it done. And so it works harder and burns more water and, and it's just terrible for you. So since we're on desperate situations, we've probably all seen or heard of it. Can you drink your pee? No. Same for the same reason. Your your urine is basically the contaminants of your body that your body has determined that it does not want in it and it's pushing it out. And for you to take that back in, you will get a very short period of increased hydration because a lot of your pee is H2O but it has so much concentration of contaminants in it 
contaminants being, you know, the things that your body doesn't want in it, it's trying to get them out, mm-hmm. that it again causes your organs to work overtime, particularly your kidneys and liver. And because they're working overtime, it your body will want more water. And so again, you're back into that situation where you got this mm-hmm. vicious cycle of, of your body working overtime to filter out and you'll, and you'll get sick because your body's working so hard. Your body will want to shut down because it does whatever's happening to it. It doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And by the time you're desperate enough to do this, the toxicity and saline levels in your urine are going to be dangerously high at that point anyway. Plus it's just gross. Absolutely. Okay. Since we're here too, as far as salt water, I have seen these and I've never successfully done one, but let's talk a little about, bit about solar stills. Can you explain to people what they are and what your opinions are? Because I think this is going to be the entertaining part. I might surprise you on this one, my friend. <laughs> All right. So solar stills are the thing that came out of the military formulation of how they do survival years and years ago, which is basically build a solar steel. A solar steel is where you dig a pit and you cover that pit with clear plastic and inside the pit before you put the plastic on you put in vegetation and what have you and the thought is is that if there's any water inside that pit whether water has seeped in or whether there's water in that vegetation because you're basically building a small tiny greenhouse water is going to come off of that green vegetation or inside the hole whatever it might be and it will try to rise out of the hole. Well, the plastic is there to stop that. It, it is a basically a vapor barrier. And because that barrier is there, that water will collect on the bottom side of the plastic. And you set the plastic up in such a way that gravity pulls it down to a one point and it drops down into some sort of collection device. That's a silver steel. So here's the major problem with that for me in my world here in Kentucky is that it's going to take a lot more effort and water that you're going to burn to dig that hole than you're ever going to get out of it because you get very, very little water out of it. The reason that solar steel was put out there and when it was put out in originally in the survival book that it was put out in, it was intended for a desert survival or a coastal area for Mm -hmm. this very topic of having salt water. If you have salt water and you fill that hole with salt water, then the water that's going to come off of it is going to be pure H2O without salt in it. And so you can get a significant amount of water that way. The reason it doesn't take as much water to build it is because you're digging it in sand. Mm -hmm. And it takes very little effort to be able to do that. And so in a sandy area, whether it's the desert or whether it's on a coastal area where you've got plenty of salt water, that's a fantastic choice. Mm -hmm. But your typical wilderness survival situation that is well within our wheelhouse and and david and i have taught that together along with clint javoin up in pennsylvania you know in that setting no no i don't want to be building no solar steel there does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah that was david? perfect okay that was great yeah so guys there is good news to this there are some sources of water that we can drink without disinfection filtration or purification you want to bring us into that world craig yeah man that's anything that falls from the sky you all so if it's raining, figure out a way to collect it. Um, one of the things that we like to teach in shelter building is to figure out how to tie some prussic knots on a ridge line so that you can slide them to and fro along that line and create basically a gutter on it so that you have a collection point at the bottom. If it's raining, then you've got a real easy way to gather water. Uh, if you have anything that's going to soak water up, you can walk around on vegetation that's not toxic like leaves of a tree, wipe them down with, let's say, a bandana and wring that water into your mouth because that's going to be clean water. Snow, a little bit more of a questionable consideration there because you don't want to take in a lot of snow if you're sitting in a shelter not doing much because your body temperature is going to lower. And if you put snow in, it's going to into your body, it's going to lower your body temp anymore, which could cause hypothermia. However, if you are up moving around, building a shelter, getting uh, something like Uh, firewood or something of that nature in a wilderness event, then you can eat some snow because your body temp is slightly rising with the work. So that, that is again, one of those things you have to critically think about the situation. Mm -hmm. Even if you do have snow and you're stuck in a shelter and you don't want to move, then the other thing you can do is put that snow in a water bottle or canister or whatever, let your body heat warm it up so that it warms up and then take that water into your body. That way it's not cooling you down even further. And the last one is dew. 
you want to do what you can to gather any dew that comes. And this is something that happens in the desert as well. Not as much as we might experience here, but you will be able to get some dew in a, even in a desert situation. It's just not much. Good stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's talk about how to find water. And so the first thing we have here is topography. Since water travels downhill, we can look for signs of valleys or how you would say it in Kentucky is haulers and keep following them downhill. You can check even dry creeks and riverbeds, streams, flip rocks over. It's amazing what you can find even in summertime, at least around here, when you flip rocks over and you see a little depression there and that water that's left has been protected from evaporation. So you want to check under rocks. You want to flip rocks, look in hidden pools, the base of cliffs, rock formations, and sometimes even in hollowed out trees. You got anything else to add there, Craig? No, that's actually really good. Um, You know, there's some indicator species out there. Um, whether it's, you know, for example, in my neck of the woods, <laughs> my neck of the woods, pun intended, sycamore, uh, sycamore trees always love water, willow trees, water maples, river birch. These are all species you, wherever you're listening, have indicator species, species that really thrive in a water area around creeks and rivers. So learn where those trees are so that if you see them in an area, you know that there's probably water nearby. It might even be under the ground. Mm-hmm. And you might be able to, you know, again, flip some rocks over or maybe pull some roots out of the way or some variation of it. And maybe just push some grass out of the way and notice that, oh, wow, that grass was growing over that little watered area right there. So those are, you know, when you see these tree species, bees have to have water. So if you see bees going to and from an area, uh, they're going to have to have some sort of water in the area as well. So that's another indicator species to, you know, one time I was on a trek where I saw a line of bees out. And this is out in the middle of the Daniel Blue National Forest. I was way back and I saw, I could see down this long forest meadow, this line of bees just going to and from. So, yeah, I wanted to go check their hive out and see if I could get some honey out of it just for the sake of, you know, being Craig Cottle and the things that I do. And what I found is that they were going to and from water. They were gathering what they normally do anyway, but they were also going from a water source because I followed them to instead of finding their hive. I found them going to a water source, hmm. which is pretty interesting. Nice. Uh, one of them things I'll never forget. It was one of the things like, oh, man, what a lesson. So, that, yeah, that was really good. So all mammals need water, right? So can, is there anything like tracking-wise we can do there? Yeah. I mean, it's a, I've got a private class with a bunch of people Friday, and that's one of the things I'm going to show them is that one of the things you can always do is – in tracking, use what's referred to as a track trap, where you are very likely to find tracks. But the, one of the best places is anywhere where there is water because everything out there is going to need some water. Birds, mammals, everything, you know, the, the four-legged critters that are out there, they're all going to need water. And so anytime you can find and follow along with what even like what David was saying earlier about how to find water, the animals are going to do that too. And so when you find them, then you find the tracks, then you can probably at some point in time, find them going to and from water because they're going to get water every day. Yep. And so bees, flies, ants, they all suggest that water is close. And I think you know this, Craig. So grain birds, so ones that feed mostly on seeds versus scavenger birds. So grain birds in a dry part of the country will generally fly in more of a straight line to water. Scavenger birds will not. Anything else for indicators? No, I, I think that's it for indicator species for now. I think that's pretty good. All right. Let's talk about filters. And you talked about purifiers versus filtration units. Mm-hmm. And so just summarizing that. So filters not going to filter out your chemical contaminants and it's not going to filter out viruses, right? Correct. So so we've got the Sawyer. That would be considered a filter. Definitely. We've got the... We've got the life straw. That would be a filter. 
the one that I use, and it's been around for a long time, it's been used for many, many years by missionaries, by military units, by people who are in areas where the water is not good at all. And that's the first need water purifier. It actually does filter out some chemical contaminants. But with all these filters, I just want to let you guys know that it's really, really important for the preservation of your filter to make sure that you pre-filter water and take water from a source that is the cleanest possible. So for instance, you let, let's just say you had a stream or, or a river or something like that. What you would want to do is you would want to set up where you're going to collect the water for your filter, whether it's a pump filter and you have an element that goes into the water. You want to set that up somewhere where the water's moving. You don't want to set it up in a pool that's full of mud or stagnant water. Uh, anything else there, Craig? No, uh, just get as close to the source of where that water comes out of yep. the hills, comes out of the earth. That's a, that's a good choice. Um, just again, just because I've been heavy on this this past week, one of the things that came up in this research is that you want to be really clear when you're looking at your filters and purifiers, your purifiers in particular. Mm-hmm. If, if a filter, it, well, well, I'm sorry, let's say if a purifier says it's good for um, 250 gallons, for example, that mm-hmm. probably means it's only good for about 25 gallons of water that's got viruses in it. And this is this is all new to me, so I'm I'm guessing it's probably new to you too, David. But what these labs were finding is that though, let's say if you're putting water through a and this is not something that would happen unless you're in a really really disgusting part of the world. We don't have a lot of viral contaminants in our water in America. We do along our southern border. I'm not trying to get political. I'm just saying those are the facts. I've said that a few times, and I'm. You know, people get aggravated when I say it, but I don't really care because those are the facts. So what I'm saying is that if you have water that's got a lot of viral contamination in it, it's not going to last as long as it normally would for just filtration needs for bacterial contaminants. The way you can extend that is do exactly what David said, which is do everything in your power to pre-filter your water to get any sedimentation out. Because basically, it's it's kind of like this. the back to, Even the bacterial and viral contaminants will collect themselves on that sedimentation. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're hiding behind it. And, and I'm trying to figure out a, a better analogy for this. It's almost like they're hiding behind it. And so if you get that sedimentation out then a lot of times a fair amount of the viral and bacterial contamination will come out as well. It doesn't mean it all comes out, but that's, that's the best analogy that I can come up with. Mm-hmm. And some filters like the Sawyer Mini comes with a syringe type deal where you can backwash the filter. It, it literally, I've, I've had them clog up in the middle of trainings and, and become completely useless and then not have my syringe. Um, so there is filter maintenance. I know like with the first need water purifier that I have, there's actually a dye test that whenever you're done using it for whatever purpose, you're supposed to dry it out, clean it out, do the dye test and, you know, make sure that it's, if it strains out this particular dye, then you're good to go the next time. Also, Craig, one of my favorite new items is the Be Free from uh, Catadyne. It's a smaller personal carry. I carry the uh, one liter version. It has a kind of a collapsible one liter pouch and it is a filtration unit. It does, however, clean out really easy if it gets dirty. You just kind of shake it out in clean water. And uh, it's worked really good for trails where I'm not having to deal with a lot of turbid kind of muddy water. Uh, One thing I do want to mention for folks, and this would be, If you are getting a filtration unit for multiple people or for large groups, maybe for a long-term like stay-at-home type disaster event, you're really going to want to have a pump filter. Uh, Basically, what I mean by that is there's several really good pump filtration units. This uh, first need unit that I'm talking about, MSR has a couple. I know Craig's got a couple. Catadyne has several of them where you pump it and most of them pump at like one to one and a half liters a minute. So you can service multiple people with that in a pretty short period of time, as long as you have some strong and willing hands. But 
if you've got a larger group, there are, there's a, I've got a new one here, Craig. It's from LifeStraw of all places. And it's called the Mission. It's a gravity filter and it's got a 12 liter, heavy duty 12 liter bag. And with these gravity filters, what you do is you actually just fill up the bag and pre filter the water any way that you can, but fill up the bag. And then gravity pulls it through the filtration unit. And then that's able to service a lot larger groups. In fact, when I was out in the Amazon a couple of years ago with Joe Flowers and the crew, that's what we used. We had, I believe we had like 15 or 16 people total in our group. And that gravity filter worked great for all of us for the whole time. Do you have anything else to add there on filtration units, Craig? No, uh, other than uh, MSR and Sawyer, uh, all of them have those gravity feed systems, and they're yep. you just need to find the one that works for you. Uh, they're all they all do what they're marketed as doing. It's just one of those things that uh, you just find the one that meets your budget really more than anything else. I know the uh, Sawyer Normal, not the Sawyer Mini. The Sawyer Mini is the one that's been picked up so much by survival folks, but the regular Sawyer, which is good for a million gallons of water, you can buy a kit that comes with it that comes with an actual paddle bit so that you can drill out a hole on a bucket and has a, a basically a device that connects to the bucket so that you can take any bucket that you might find and fill it full of water, drill a hole, put the apparatus on there, connect your water filter, which is the Sawyer normal and then you basically got a method of gathering water even if you're not carrying some sort of bag like david is describing but again the using the bag is so much easier yep that's really good so let's just say craig that somebody's out and they do not have any kind of commercial modern filtration unit uh there's several i don't want to call them primitive ways but there's several creative ways that we can get safer drinking water and here's what i mean by that guys there's always going to be a risk. And what you want to do, this is with survival, it's with wilderness, it's with adventure travel, it's with hiking, it's with anything. You always want to mitigate your risks. So you just have to use your brain while you're out there. And uh, some of the things we're going to share with you, all of them are, are safer than drinking out of a stream or a creek or a river. But just know that you want to always apply best practices. And some of mm-hmm. these situations are better than others. And Craig, why don't you start us off by probably one of our favorite ones? Boiling. Without a doubt, boiling water is one of the best methods, but you got to be clear. Everybody needs to understand it's good for bacterial contamination. It does not work for viral contamination. Mm-hmm. But or again, chemicals. Or, or chemicals. Very good. It's, it's just one of those things that I want to reiterate in virtually every part of our country here. In the United States, viral contamination is not an issue to to be scared of, for example, uh, just in the lower section of our country. But uh, when you're going to utilize boiling, just bring it to a rolling boil. You don't have to make it boil for X minutes or anything of that nature. It's actually interesting to note, this is another one of those things that gets regurgitated incorrectly, but it doesn't actually have to get to a rolling boil. Because long before that, the temperature is such that bacterial contamination cannot exist in that environment. It's just from a survival perspective, I like to make things stupid proof. And, and, I, and I'm assuming that's what the originators of this concept did, is that they wanted to make it such that it's easy to recognize, hey, this water's hot enough. And the way to do that is it comes to a rolling boil. At that point, you're not losing anything still. You're not going to be losing a lot of water to steam that's coming off and at the same time you're you've got a visual check that says all right we're at the right temperature does that make sense mm-hmm. so Perfect. just bring it to a rolling boil and you'll be good to go uh, some of the other things is is to just do any sort of solar purification you know the ultraviolet lights that you can get in a steripan those are garbage in my opinion and uh, i've proven that in the lab and so I'm not a fan of utilizing them. And, and, and the reason is because the same thing I was mentioned earlier, which is those contaminants basically connect to any sort of sedimentation that might be in the water. And so when you move that ultraviolet light around inside of a water bottle, if the contaminant, for example, is on the other side of a, a very tiny piece of sedimentation, then that ultraviolet light does not make 
it to that bacterial contaminant and then it's still in the water. So you really haven't done anything. So, Mm -hmm. man, I try to come up with these simple ways of talking about some really difficult scientific uh, problems, but, but, uh, but, but the beautiful thing is if you have a clear plastic water bottle, then you can simply put it, put water in it and put it in direct sunlight and eight hours of full sun and you're going to be ready to rock. This is one of the things that we've taught missionaries for a long time now, and it's working exceptionally well. Not when I say we, I've done some missionaries like that, but uh, there's been, uh, and, and I just stole that idea from other people that have trained missionaries and they're doing this all over the world to help people in countries that don't have access to clean water. They're just taking them plastic bottles and putting that plastic bottle full of water on top of a, their shelter, whatever it might be that they're living in, and then utilizing that to clean the water. All right. So is there anything else, Craig, that we can add to that solar purification that will accelerate the process? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a couple of little things to consider. You can build basically a convection oven. So if you have a, uh, for example, if you have a um, the the blankets, the mylar blankets that are reflective, you can wrap that around such that you attract more sunlight and reflect it back into the water. That helps. The other thing you can do is instead of building a solar steel, like we mentioned earlier, which is basically a, a problematic because you're burning more water than you're actually getting out of it, you can use a plastic garbage bag, for example, as a transpiration bag. And the way you do that, it's a real simple process. David loves this. We did it one year in Pennsylvania and he was just amazed by it. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we put a nice. joke on him when we did this, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, what you do is you take a, a garbage bag and it's prefer, uh, preferred to use a clear one because it allows more sunlight through wrap it around any sort of vegetation that's not toxic and then tie it off. Let's say, for example, just a branch on a tree, it's got a bunch of leaves on it, wrap it around that branch and then where it, it, the, the mouth of the garbage bag is tie it off. And then this cool thing called science happens. And water coming out of the leaves tries to come off the leaves and go out into the atmosphere, basically. And it can't because it gets captured inside the garbage bag. Gravity pulls it down to the bottom of the bag. And so this cool science process happens. And you don't have to do much. You don't have to dig a hole. It's basically the same process that you would do for solar steel. You just don't have to work. You just tie it off and you're done. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And just for the fun of it, if you want to have fun with your friends then fill it full of water <laughs> and then tell them that you did it and then poke a hole in it and watch them be amazed, which is exactly what we did to David in training a few years ago. He was like, holy smokes, man, I didn't realize you could get two gallons of water out of that. In all seriousness, what you're going to get is you, I've done this in classes and, and got as much as two cups of water in a 24 hour period of time. Uh, that was exceptional. Usually I'll get a cup of water on a, on a good day. And so, uh, that is, you know, what you should expect, but again, go out and practice. Just keep in mind, this is one of those skills. If you practice this on a tree, let's say, for example, you go out in your front yard, put a garbage bag around the branch, then you're going to kill that branch. So don't do it. Uh, don't do it. Um, on a tree that's in your front yard because, you know, somebody's not going to be happy with you in the family. Then we have different rain collection possibilities. Craig mentioned that earlier. And we've got, if you've got a tarp available, you've got, maybe you can talk about some of those. But one that I like that is not talked about much, if you do have some sort of a fabric, you can, and and it's raining well, and you have some sort of a collection device like a cup, you can wrap that fabric around a tree and then run that wick into a, a collection container and capture water that runs off of that tree into that wick and wick that down to your water collection device. There you go. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. How about DIY filters? Have you ever played with those much? You know, not much. I, I did one for a video years ago and it pretty and and I had studied this and put one together and I was actually pretty amazed at how clean the water came out. But one way that I the one that the way I did it on the video was I made, you can look this up. It's a hillbilly water filter. It's, I did it. I don't know. It's probably seven or eight years ago, but, but, uh, you can take any sort of cylindrical device. Let's say for example, a water bottle that you find in, uh, the environment, even a discarded one or one that you have that's empty and then cram it full of coal 
and from a fire because what happens is coal is a fantastic filter. And so as water runs through that coal, then then what happens is that because it runs through that coal, it gets it filters out the bacterial contaminants. Uh, you can also do this with setup filters where you can do that. Uh, I've seen people do it with a tripod where they'll have different tiers of material. One of the tiers of material needs to be like green vegetation that's not toxic because when water runs through green vegetation, it filters it out. Uh, you can use sand, you can use rocks, and you can see any number of different opportunities to do this. If you want to, just look up Hillbilly Water Filter on YouTube, and I think my video is the top video there. But but uh, you'll you'll see that and how that works, and it's it's amazing. You can basically take a piece of garbage and make a filter out of it. It's kind of fascinating. One of my favorite things, mostly to play around with, because I'm just going to tell you that uh, you can go ahead and tap trees and vines one of my favorite is grapevines only because of the way they run sometimes more horizontal to the ground it's easy to tap them in the spring and get water out of them i did do a training a a few years ago it was a long training and in the knife only portion of that we we literally were next to a large river that we couldn't drink out of so for three days i lived off of grapevine sap and so you can actually drill a hole into a various trees, birch, maple, aspens are good for this. They can be tapped. And uh, again, it's got to be something that is non-toxic, but grapevines are perfect for that. And they're in more places than you could ever imagine. And you just drill into the inner bark and then you wick the water down into some sort of a collection container in my situation out in the middle of nowhere, Craig, I found a beer can, and that's what I hmm. used. Nice. I would go ahead and say, because I'm a nature nerd, go ahead and cut that grapevine completely off. Just cut it, because grapevines are absolutely terrible for tree canopy and for um, proper development of trees. So just go ahead and lop the thing in half. That way it doesn't grow up in the tree and kill the tree. There you go. Nature nerd. <laughs> but, but... In that situation, Craig, that one vine provided me water for three days because it was, it had deep roots and it was up into the trees and all that sort of stuff, but it was a big, thick vine and it just kept drawing water from way below, way further below the surface than I could dig. Just and for then, then after that, cut it down, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you can basically, what you can do is you can put a container underneath of it and drink from it and then just leave the container under it again. And then and just keep drinking and just keep going back to it Um, just for people that are not interested in how that works. Basically, a vine or a tree has a vascular system just like we do, meaning that it's going to take nutrition. Let's say this vine, like David is describing, it's got a root system and it's reaching out into the earth, trying to get nutrition and trying to get water and send it up into the greenery that's at the top of the tree or where, you know, ever how far that thing extends. And so basically what happens is, is that when water is collected from dew and rain, it sends it down the vine. And so when you cut that vascular system in half, basically a gravity just pulls it down because there is no, yeah, it just pulls it down to the earth. And so you can stick a container underneath of it and it's just going to continue to drip water for, for quite a long time, depending on the size. Okay. I didn't know that. I just learned something. Thanks, man. That's why I'm here, baby. (laughs) Okay, let's just quickly talk. Did you have anything else there in primitive? or I think that's enough. Uh, Okay, that's good. How about some systems? Well, we already talked about solar still. What do you think of those uh, seep wells? Yeah, you know, it's not, I mean, if you don't have anything else, it's it's a useful tool. But basically what you have is you have a, a suspect water source. You go off, to, like for creek, you go off to the side of it and you dig down until water seeps into that hole that you just dug. And the thought is, is that the, the dirt, or I'm not sorry, the dirt, the mud, the earth that is there, provides as good a filter as you can get without anything else and then there you have something that is is an okay an okay option in a bad situation where you don't have anything else i mean essentially what you're depending on is you're depending on the ground itself to go ahead and filter that water yeah yeah that's that's again that's a very okay it's not a good opportunity right there yeah yep Okay, let's just talk a little bit about water disinfection. 
so we've got tablets. I don't know if you have any preference for tablets, but the brand that I use is mostly is AquaTabs. They're affordable. They seem to work really well. They're pre-measured. And what I mean by that, some of the things that we're going to talk about in disinfection here, they are not pre-measured, but these are pre-measured. If you're using water that is uh, pretty clear, you're taking it from a, a pretty clean looking water source, they treat one liter. So, and Craig, I don't, I don't think that all water tablets do this, but they do disinfect protozoan, bacteria, and viruses. Most tablets do. Okay. Most of them do. And that's, you know, you, you'll hear most of your survival guys that know what they're talking about saying that to get a purification process happening, you, used to, you have to use some sort of ionization process or a chemical to do it. And basically that's what you've got there is you've got a chemical that's going to help kill that virus in there. So uh, Aquamira is another tablet that I have used. Um, the thing that I'm always concerned about, guys and gals, on tablets and drops and all the things that go along with them, iodine, which is another one, these are all really good methods. I've used every single one of them in backpacking situations. However, it, it a little bit concerns me in survival because I don't consider that one of those things that is stupid proof. Uh, meaning that if you look at it and go, okay, 12 drops per gallon for iodine is going to be about right or what have you, then you might in your head have it, if 12 are good, then 25 or 30 are better. And and under the stress of survival, I can actually see that happening. I'm, I have, have seen that happen with people. And so the reason I, I avoid those from, hey, if I'm going to pack something, I'm going to pack a a filter or a purifier instead of the drops just because, because I think that's a better choice because again, not that it's any better or worse as far as what it can actually do, but under the stress of survival, it's not as nearly stupid proof as like a filter. Right. But the tablets are, so tablets are a good backup mm -hmm. to your yeah, filter in case something happens mm -hmm. and it breaks. Yep. So then we've got a lot of people ask Craig about bleach, household bleach, sodium chloride. So that would be household bleach. And uh, just two weeks ago, we had Dr. Joe and Nurse Amy Alton on the on the broadcast, on the podcast. And they had mentioned, and I'm actually looking at their book, The Ultimate Survival Medicine Guide for, for this. And what they recommend is a 3 to 8% solution of sodium hypochloride. And that's household bleach. I think I said that right. And that's eight to 10 drops per gallon. That's what Craig's talking about. How do you measure a drop? And the best way to do that is have an eyedropper, right? Um, and you talked about tincture of iodine, which is usually a 2% solution, 12 to 16 drops. And we're talking about drops per gallon, not drops per liter. It's drops per gallon on those. Hey, let me tell you and something a about lot that real of, quick. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, go ahead. I did a video. Uh, actually, it was a DVD many years ago when I was working for Dan's Depot on urban survival, urban preparedness. And one of the things that I showed people how to do on that DVD was how to put, it seems simple, but how to put drops of water, I mean, drops of bleach into water if you don't have a dropper. Because who's going to have a dropper, right? And so basically what I was doing was soaking up bleach with a, a small piece of paper and then dropping it into the water. And behind the scenes, it took about 30 takes to get to where I was. What I'm saying, this is one of those things you need to practice because I would soak it and then hold it in there and it would just like one drop and then nothing would happen. If I would squeeze it a little bit to help it come out, I mean, like 20, 30 drops would drop in. And so it, it's not, I know it seems like another, I can't believe Craig's talking about this, but it's not an easy thing to do without a dropper to be able to get eight to 10 drops of bleach into a gallon of water. It's just, it's just not that easy. Okay. So let's talk about three types of kits. Let's just talk real quick about if you can carry a pocket kit, what can you do as far as water there? Then like an EDC or like a, you know, EDC pack kit, a home kit and a vehicle kit. Why don't we just buzz down through those real quick? For well, folks. for EDC, I, I try to find a way to carry water. I know it sounds crazy, but for me, I carry water. So it, whether that's a platypus or camelback type of device or just a simple water bottle I pick up and put in my pocket, it's not that hard to grab a water bottle and stick it in your back pocket. 
It's that simple. Uh, my next level for filtration is to carry that Sawyer Mini. Uh, I also carry a garbage bag with me in my in daily carry. So my grab and go bag that goes with me out the door every day and that I would use to grab and go if I needed to has that filter in it. That Sawyer Mini as well. So that's basically the concept that I have on a personal level. For the family level, I keep a I keep a stores of water in the house. And I keep some stores of water outside the house as well. And what I also do is I have the Sawyer normal, the regular Sawyer, which is good for a million gallons of water. And then I also have the knowledge in a stay-at-home situation to get water from your, excuse me, from your hot water heater, from the back of your toilet, fill up your bathtub if you know something's getting ready to happen and plug it so that you can keep that water because that's a lot of water. And uh, as far as in the vehicle I mentioned earlier, I always keep water in my vehicles, a couple of gallons of water. If uh, and, and when I say a couple of gallons of water, I keep a couple of gallons of water in my vehicle for me and my wife, thinking there's two people. And my kids are doing their own thing these days. And so um, if I had four people in my family, I'd, pr- I'd have four gallons of water in there. So I've got at least a gallon of water for that number of people that are going to regularly be with me so that they've got enough water to get a half gallon, which I would rather have more, but a half gallon of water for two days, because that's going to help out tremendously. Yeah. Until you find some more. Yeah, that's really good. Only things I would add there is one of the one liter containers in my everyday carry pack is a uh, single walled stainless steel water bottle. And who makes those, Craig? It, it, I just, it just escaped me. There's all kinds of companies, but Clean Canteen is the best. I mean, Clean opinion. Canteen, yeah, that's They make it. good yep. ones. And just so for emphasis, a, he said yeah. single wall for a reason, you all. If you have a double wall, if you have a water bottle that keeps hot things hot and cold things cold, that thing's going to blow up if you use it to boil water in. So you don't want to do that. And I always carry a few water purification tabs in my smaller kit. And just remember... That if you have a family or you have a larger group that you want to be able to provide water for, you're probably going to be wanting to look at a pump filter, pump filtration unit. The Sawyer Mini is not going to work for you very well in that regard. I've tried. I've been on trainings where we all shared one Sawyer Mini, and that didn't work out so good. Um, in fact, Craig, I think it was one of your trainings. Or <laughs> what didn't work that good? You were like, hey, that that's what, that's what you all did. That's what you all brought. That's what you get. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think it was the tactical survival training and some of our filters were failing and all that sort of stuff. And so like three or four of us used one Sawyer Mini to try and get enough water and it, it got us through like an hour. Um, and uh, don't discount these uh, gravity filters. Gravity filters are a great thing for larger groups. And I think that's it. Let's talk about, well, before we go any further, Craig, we are we are over an hour I wanted to get down to this break it down situation with the power outage in New York City. I wanted to tell people about some cool stuff that's coming up. Let's put that up on and another we show. Were gonna talk- you want to? Yeah, let's do that on another show. Okay. I think we got to do that. I think it's going to make a good show all in itself. So leaving out of here, Craig, why don't we talk about a few action steps? Maybe I'll give two or three and then you can drop a couple more in okay, here. Okay, sure. So I think, the, I think the first one is carry water and be hydrated and... One that we didn't talk about much, but if you're going to go out on an extended hike or a camping trip, it's a good idea to take a map and know where your potential water sources are. Almost every trail that's well-traveled anymore has some sort of a guide to it, and oftentimes on those guides, people will mark, or like for instance, around where I live, I have all the maps for this area, and they're almost always marked on there are water, good water sources that are available even in the summertime. So you want to know where those are. What else do we have, Craig, for action steps? Uh, carry a filter of some sort. Uh, we've talked about the Sawyer Mini several times, but something. Be Free is another good choice David was telling us about that's newer model. And obviously, just have the knowledge on how to put this whole idea of getting and maintaining your hydration together. You know, the tiny survival guide is a good choice for that. You can read my books, obviously, but the tiny survival guide is a thing that once you're out in the middle of nowhere. And again, I like using the tiny guide for two reasons. One is a training apparatus 
we mentioned that before. The second is as a reference point, if you need it, if you pick up the tiny survival guide, you have it in your go back or what have you, then you're not thinking clearly, you're trying to come up with what you need to do, then it might jog your memory. And that's what it was written for is to help you in that situation as well. So knowledge is power, my friends, knowledge is power. And the survival guide helps you with that as best, as best as we could do. Cause we, we put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. And even when we were talking through that, Craig section, it's actually section J in the guide and J three is all the sections that have things that you can do and skills you can perform are all in yellow. And that one covers boiling water collection, two different ways, DIY filters, two different ways. It actually ranks them on ease of doing and the amount of protection you get, what risks there still may be with regards to the water, like chemicals is, is under risks as far as boiling because it doesn't deal with that. The method that it is, the volume of water you can process, and then anything else you need in your kit, like boiling for a kit, you need obviously a single walled container that you can boil in and you need the the ability to make fire. So there's all of those things. And we have three little kit lists for water kits in the tiny survival guide too. All right, Craig, why don't you take us out of here? All right, guys and gals, subscribe to the podcast now. It is free to do so. That way you are insured to not miss out on any episodes. And why would you want to? There's so many cool things coming your way. Many thanks to each and every one of you who have already done that. We love you guys. We appreciate it. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends and go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. That's one, two, three, four, five-star rating. Go to sir, go to tinysurvivalgear.com to get your copy of the Tiny Survival Guide. Go check out kit.com, ultimate survival tips at kit.com to get a free kit checklist on all the things that relate to water, what we've talked about here today in the show. I think that's it. I think that's it. Let me look at my notes. Yep, that's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.